So Dave, I had a triumph. A triumph? I had a rare, <laughs> I had a rare triumph, and I am champing at the bit to tell you about it. Okay, what is the triumph? You're like, I got my pants on. I haven't put them on in four years. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna sound a little bit like that. I uh, so so I I think I talked a little bit about this on the show, but I started getting really depressed uh, around the be- end of September, early October. I was starting I remember, to get yes. really depressed about Halloween. Uh, we were gonna really screw up Halloween, and it was getting to me. We always the Geiger family always throws a big party uh, for our kids. I know, I know this about you that yeah. Halloween is a particularly beloved um, uh, holiday for you. Like yeah. you legit live for that that weekend. We decorate the house with every tacky, ridiculous thing I can find. Uh, we we really do it up, and and they were talking. And of- you personally make. Make a lot of really cool costumes. You don't just buy costumes; oh, yeah. you make cool costumes. Oh, I had, I had a Doctor Octopus costume that I made out of uh, dryer vents. <laughs> and your Doctor Strange uh, oh, was fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I I had so much fun doing that. Uh, but but it, it, we were gonna we were gonna lose it this year. And they were talking in Philadelphia about canceling trick or treating. That they were just not gonna allow it for the city. They were gonna mm-hmm. tell everybody keep your kids in. And that was getting me really down. And, and, and but I, because not because. Listen, if if the numbers had been such, if the government had been had looked at the numbers and said, "Listen, we really got to stay indoors." Well, you know what? That's when you say no to yourself. You say, "Listen, sometimes you don't get what you want, but it's for the greater good." And you say, "I just can't." Right. Right. Uh, even so, we knew in our neighborhood, because we've got a really hopping neighborhood for trick-or-treaters, too. We live by uh, the Eastern State Penitentiary, which is uh, considered one of the most haunted places in America. They always do a big haunted attraction there. For, oh, uh, I thought uh, you were going to say, we live by the Eastern State Penitentiary. They love trick-or-treating. <laughs> they let them out one night a year. <laughs> and some they... of them come back <laughs> dressed in their stripes. Uh, no, it's it's long defunct. It was the first penitentiary built in the United States. It, it, oh. it, it's got a big history. Uh, that, it, nothing good happened in that penitentiary if no, it was the first one built no, in the like, U.S. Well, everything, every cell at that, when it first started, every cell was solitary confinement. So huh. if you went in for something like a low-level offense, like stealing a horse, uh, when, by the time you came out, you were insane. It drove people crazy. Yeah, yeah. They did not know how to, I mean, they still, anyway. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever I seen always love how stealing a horse was legitimately the worst offense you could do. <laughs> it, well, back then, it really, you can kind of understand it. Can I divert your story for one second just to say that a friend of mine, uh, his grandfather literally stole a horse in Texas, uh-huh. and the punishment was so bad that he had to leave Texas. He had wow. to run. This was before paperwork could sort of track you down. <laughs> he had to start a new life under a new name in Arizona because he stole a horse. And running out of Texas isn't like running out of Rhode Island. You got to really, you got you to really run. A it's a marathon. Yeah, yeah, it's not a sprint. Uh, anyway, keep going. So yeah, you were sad it, about missing Halloween because yeah. Halloween's important to you. So and uh, and I said, besides, even if they cancel Halloween, we're we're still going to have kids on our porch. Yeah, they're not gonna. They're still gonna show up, and when they do, I'm gonna be upset that we can't give them candy. It's right. gonna. It's just gonna bug me. There's. We've got neighbors uh, across the street that always turn their lights off every Halloween, and you know they pretend they're not home, and, and and that's that's fine if that's your choice. But for me, if some kid shows up in a freaking Spider-Man costume on my porch, I'm throwing chocolate at him. 
Okay. I'm throwing it's, chocolate. It's just the way it works. <laughs> hey, Peter Parker, here's your Snickers. I got your Snickers right. Have you noticed fun size keeps getting smaller every year? Did you notice that a Snickers has the thing where it's just the letter? Just the letter. Like you just get the S. Snickers on that size. Are we having fun yet? No, it's getting smaller every year. I, I want to write them and be like, Dear Snickers, I am actively trying to become a type 2 diabetic. Do not stop me in my quest. <laughs> Eat a bag of Nick's Snickers. That's what I want to say. That's uh, so anyway, a ridiculous so you, small Brad, size. Uh, of all the people in Philadelphia, you have a slightly raised porch. Yes. Your porch is higher than street level in Philadelphia. Yeah, they're called And why don't you houses. tell folks what you embarked upon for this year? So I looked at my wife and I said, I need a power tool. <laughs> now, she started turning pale and getting the shakes because I'm not a handy guy. I'm not. I'm not. a. I, when, when I hammer a nail, she calls me lightning. Because I never strike twice in the same place. But <laughs> oh my God, what a hot joke! <laughs> I now have a to- grand total of two things that have the words craftsman on it. And that's because uh, I went to, to uh, match my craftsman drill. I went and I bought a jigsaw. Okay. And I got some plywood. Jigsaws are fun. You. I had a lot of fun with that. And I made a socially distant candy shoot. I made a little plywood uh, stand-up that was painted like a ghost. I had some four-inch PVC pipe that came down from my porch down to street level uh, and came out the ghost's mouth. And uh, and so I could stand on the porch, send candy down. It would come out through the ghost and into the what I was. It was supposed to fall into the hopper, but uh, it had so much velocity <laughs> by the time it came down. It just came, it looked like the ghost was projectile vomiting sweets. <laughs> so we had to oh. tell the kids, hold your bag right in front of the ghost's mouth, <laughs> and we'd send this candy down, and whoosh, it would come right out and. We had we didn't have as many trick or treaters as we usually do. We usually put a, like honestly a couple hundred dollars in Halloween candy every year, and it's gone by the end of the night. Uh, this year we didn't have quite as much, uh, but we they did come through, and we all sat up on the porch and had a glass of wine, uh, uh, said hi to the kids and everything, and and did the whole. Here's the problem. Here's what I really what it, what it what it what I realized sitting there. Halloween is the last of the community holidays. It's the last of the community holidays. Name another community-based holiday. You might have the next-door neighbors come over to roast a weenie for July 4th, but that's not a community-based holiday. Well, I I would differ. Fourth of July in my neighborhood is actually very community. They they block off the streets, and it's a big block party, and people are barbecuing in their front yards and on the streets, and... Yeah, we have a big parade, a do, local do, do community parade. Do ghosts vomit candy? No. No, I no, no. Okay, so I first of all, I want to give you a compliment because Brad sent me a video on the 30th or 31st of October. Like, check this out. <laughs> and first of all, the design was hella cute. Like, that ghost was great. You did a great, for never having used a jigsaw before, honest to God, kudos from California. You did a great job. That ghost was so cute. Thank Second you. of all, uh, the I, I could only say to everyone listening at home, imagine the angle of this PVC pipe <laughs> almost being upright, like uh, start it at upright and move it at a three degree angle. Yeah. And that's the angle that Brad was sending this chocolate down, right? <laughs> and then Brad had designed it so the mouth of the ghost is perfectly at nose level for the kid. <laughs> So these little kids would come up and be like, Happy Halloween! And smack! That Snickers would get them right in the nose. 
Brad was sending down full-size stickers at a velocity that can only be described as that scene in The Right Stuff where they're launching astronauts across the desert to test them at rocket speeds. Brad was sending full-size stickers. Hey, there's your happy Halloween. Wa-bam! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, we, we had so much fun doing that, Dave. It was fantastic. We, I, I, I put the video up. I will post the video. I'll put a link to it in today's show notes, uh, yeah. so you can see it. But at one point, because uh, we, we were testing it out with my son who helped me. It was a nice father-son thing. My son was helping me do the That's ghost great. and everything. Uh, but um, at, at one point, when it gets dark out, you'll see this woman lift her kid up, and uh, and he he doesn't get his bag uh, quite high enough, and you can <laughs> see these things just pelting him in the forehead. They're just going <laughs> ricocheting everywhere. Happy hop, 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 hop. Here's your individual skittle. Your individual wrapped skittle. Well, and here's how that's going to end. Here's the denouement of that whole story. Yeah. Ten years from now, Brad's going to be moving a box in the garage or in a closet, and he's going to stumble upon that ghost, because you know he's not throwing it away. No. He's going to stumble upon that ghost, and he's going to go, I did all right. I <laughs> built a nice ghost. <laughs> well, the funny thing, oh, one quick thing before we uh, before we wrap up. It almost made me, like, missed up a little bit. Honest to goodness, when I looked around my neighborhood and saw that I wasn't the only one who had that idea, there was all these people doing candy shoots and delivery systems, and whether it was a cardboard tube or a, or a, a slide that they came down or they were just putting them up on the, on the side of the road on a little table, all of these people had the same idea. We're not, you're not going to steal Halloween from us. We got to do it. We got to do it safe. We got to do this. We got to do that. But we're not going to just roll over. And I almost got a little emotional when I saw all these people out there building candy shoots. I, I, I said to the one lady, uh, and this is more than I've talked to my neighbors in, in the last you know four years. But uh, I said to one lady, I said, you know, this is actually a little bit fun. I almost want to do it next year. I just hope we don't have to. But even if we don't have to, I might keep that thing and, yeah. you know, well, I might you even know, build on it. I was telling Max, uh, we've got the ghost. Now we need a vampire. And we do have a second story window. <laughs> <laughs> I could get this velocity up to the speed of sound. I, probably, I know I could do it. If I if I work, I could probably knock some of those little shits over. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all the way for Brad Geiger. Full size sticker bar. <laughs> Well, on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal, Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. Uh, it's funny because I wanted to, uh, saying the uh, the creator of Stripped there just reminded me that I, last night, for the first <gasps> time in years, I watched Stripped. Really? Um, and so I want to share that with you. But before we do, I want to give a huge shout-out and a thank you to our sponsors and friends over at Wacom, uh, W-A-C-O-M.com, the makers of the new Wacom One, and uh, proud sponsors of Comic Lab for this year. And uh, uh, I have to say, this is uh, we've said it before, and I will say it again, it is a sponsorship that Brad and I have nothing but love for because these are right. products that we actively use, actively, every day in our cartooning. And, uh, and so we wholeheartedly endorse Wacom and the new Wacom One. 
Fantastic. So, Dave, how was it that you were watching Stripped uh, not oh, so oh, long ago? So, uh, uh, Art Center School of Design in Pasadena, which is a, a uh, for those on the West Coast know it, it's a it's a big school of design and, and art and uh, and graphics. Um, they had me do a couple of lectures or are having me do a couple of lectures to one of their classes. And um, part of it was they were watching a bit of Stripped and they were doing a Q&A about that as, as part of the overarching thing. And so I had not watched Stripped, my comics documentary that I made with Fred Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred and I worked on that for four years. But then, you know, after a project is done, there's a period of of... We gave a lot of talks around the country with that yeah. film, like 30, 40 talks. And then you're like, I'm kind of done. I'm, I'm all right. I'm out. <laughs> so this was the first time I had seen the film in a long time. And Brad, who makes an appearance in the film as, a, as an expert on webcomics talking about it. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Brad, you had a younger man's voice in the film. <laughs> and not having watched it for a couple of years, your voice has gotten richer, more baritone, mm-hmm. more uh, uh, garrulous, but also professorial. Whereas in the film... <laughs> I don't. I, it, this is not it, but it was on the road to this. You were yeah. more like comics are an interesting thing because you can you can really do a lot with comics. And it wasn't that, but it was on right. the road to that. And I was like, oh wow, listen to Young Man Geiger's voice. I think part of that is is doing the podcast for three years because I I know I talk differently. Yeah, just because when you're doing a podcast, you've got to if you want to do it well, you've got to think about how you're saying things and change up your voice, and you can't be monotone and boring. And I just talk differently because I'm I'm find myself thinking about it all the time. Right, right, yeah. You've definitely have gotten more as as have I, I'm sure, more presentational in the way yeah. you talk. You know, more like I am giving a talk. Right, but but. There was still a sort of young man's sweetness in your voice of like, oh boy, the future looks so bright. Let's talk about comics. Hi, Brad Jagger. Uh, that, that no longer, now it's like the world is ash and woe, kid. Yeah. Like you now would be talking to that Brad Geiger going, you got some trouble ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, I got some bad news. Listen, you're going to need to get a jigsaw, build a ghost. That's all I'm going to say. Get to use, uh, using a craftsman tool for crying out loud. Uh, how, did, how did your talk go? Uh, good. I so this was my first time teaching over Zoom. Uh, Brad obviously has been doing that at the college level for the last I don't know eight months, seven mm-hmm. months. And um, I will be honest, Brad. Then on a basic, it was perfectly fine. The lecture mm-hmm. was fine. They had good questions. That was uh, really insightful questions and good kids. Um, but uh, I will say on a basic human level that my heart kind of broke. Yeah. That this is what kids of all ages are having to do for school. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I don't know. It just kind of broke me a little bit emotionally that I got off. I, like it was a perfectly lovely class, but I, I clicked, you know, leave meeting or whatever it is on zoom. And I was like, I just kind of let out a long sigh. Cause I was like, ah, oh, that's not what it should be. It's what it should same. be is me getting in my car, mm-hmm. putting, going, showering, putting on a nice shirt, getting in my car, driving to Pasadena, sitting on a, like a little black stool in the, in the front of a lecture hall and like talking about <laughs> comics for an hour and then doing yeah. some Q and a, and I probably have a little coffee, right? Yeah. Maybe I have a scarf on. <laughs> very specific in this fantasy yeah uh a single light yeah shining yes. down in the lecture hall at, at art center but you know what i mean like there's a specific way that teaching should be yes. where and this was not it and it kind of broke my heart so let me ask you this how many of the students had their cameras on and and then how, how many of them as opposed to that you, you were just looking at blank screens or avatars 
That's interesting. Uh, uh, there were two that were avatars, mm-hmm. and one of them, the kid apologized in audio saying his camera was not working at the moment. Who knows if that was... Anyway, most of them, 99% had their cameras on. Really? So it was kind of fun to be able to, you know, kind of swivel through as I'm talking just yeah. to see what the reactions well, that's, are. that's not been... See, that's what I really have disliked about uh, the Zoom teaching is that it's very easy for the students to turn their cameras off and then tune out. Because I I know, like when I teach, I've got maybe 25 to 30. I can usually count on maybe five, maybe eight of them having their cameras on. And the rest of them, of course, those are the first people I'm going to call on because I want to catch them. And I call on them and then I wait and I wait and I know that they've walked away or, you know, gone down to the park or done any number of things. Uh, And you can't. Uh, it, 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 it's not only unethical, but it might even be, you know, a, a, against some law somewhere. But they said they said uh, very uh, point blank at UArts, you cannot tell a student they have to turn their camera on. Oh, you interesting. Can't. Uh, because it, any number of privacy issues, right? Right. So uh, what happens then is that they turn their cameras off. They also tune out. And you're not, I know I'm not reaching these students. And of course, they're at that age. Another little side topic, I'd love to go back to college now. All that stuff oh, I that would I love hated, to go to college. I could not get out of art history quickly enough. Could not stand <laughs> art history. I, if you gave me an art history class taught by a really good person that, you know, knew, knew their stuff today, I'd eat it right up. But back then, you couldn't interest me in it. And these kids are no different than I was at that age. They want nothing to do with the stuff that's being offered to them, even though in another 10 years, they're going to wish they'd paid attention, just like I wished I'd paid attention in our history. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, my my long story short after after giving this Art Center uh, lecture was... Turns out, Brad, pandemics, not that fun. That was my my takeaway. Turns out... Everyone was always like, "Oh, you should have lived through the Spanish flu. It was really fun." <laughs> nope. My new attitude is maybe they're not, maybe a pandemic is not as fun as advertised. So, anyway, no, let's jump into our first question for this week, Brad. This comes in from Mark Ashworth over at Patreon.com/slash/ComicLab, and Mark writes, "Following up to someone else's question, neither of you just has a cartoonist job. Cartoonist in quotes. Mm-hmm. You've both put together a set of gigs and independent work to pay the bills." How many of your sources have any cartooning in them? For example, if you have five sources and just two have and two have cartooning in them, that would be two fifths. Just go with your own perception, since this is more a curiosity than a useful metric. Uh, so I'm intrigued to hear your answer, Brad, because this somewhat triggers my hackles. So I want to get oh, your read on this. Hackles. Neither of you has a cartoonist job. You've put together a set of gigs and independent work to pay the bills. Brad, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts center around umbrage and the taking thereof. <laughs> <laughs> What the uh, heck do you mean I don't have a cartoonist job? Listen, honest to goodness, I worked for a long time. I worked, I, I've, ta- I've told the story, 17, 18 hour days for years, uh, six days, uh, six, seven days a week. Uh, I worked that long to get to the point where I have a cartoonist job. I do have a cartoonist job. No matter what this guy thinks, uh, I am a full-time cartoonist. So let's. So that's easy to say. Let's back it up. What do I do? Evil Ink, that's a cartoon. That's a, that's a comic. That's a cartoonist job. Evil Ink After Dark, comics job. 
Uh, I'll just roll over all the cards just in case this is going to get boring. All the other things I do, Courting Disaster, Cape Carnival, the bonus comics for Patreon, comics job. Uh, now, webcomics.com. Well, I write about comics. I couldn't possibly write that uh, that resource without having a life worth of cartoonist experience to funnel into it. That's a cartoonist job. Podcast, Comic Lab, that's uh, where I apply all of those years of comics experience into a podcast. I couldn't do Comic Lab without uh, this experience of being a cartoonist. So that's a cartoonist job. I think it's time, Dave, that uh, that we uh, uh, that we have a long talk about what it actually means to be a cartoonist in this day and age, right? Yeah. Well, a part of it is, I think, the perceived uh, like Socratic ideal of yeah. an artist only creates art and does nothing else. Yeah. And like here, Brad, I my art, I'm, I'm, I've done, I've taken my painting off the easel, and immediately <laughs> checks come in, and that's the artist's life, right? I, I finish a painting, I put it on the floor, and oh look, a ten thousand dollar check. Here we go. That's no. an artist. That's according, the pure artist's this guy, life. Maybe you shouldn't even be uh, doing the labor of taking it off the easel. You're, 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 <laughs> now you're just a common yeah. laborer. And so I think one of the reasons why I uh, my hackles a little bit go up with the nature of this question yeah. is for me. Everything that I do that's uh, that touches on my comics is a critical part of it, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I have learned that by wearing all those hats, all of which touch cartooning, I get to keep being a cartoonist. Right. They... I have so many friends who have said, I don't want to deal with the money. I don't want to just give me a job at Marvel. Give me a thing at Scholastic. That's all I want to do. I yep. don't want to have to deal with any of that other stuff. Yeah, where are and they here now? is the dirty little secret. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't working right now because <laughs> no they're shit. not in control of their career. Right. 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 And in fact, especially in a recession, some of them aren't working. So um, for me... Taking on the role of making my own books, mm -hmm. maintaining my own website, controlling my own social media, right. doing my own billing, handling my own income sources and my my expenses, uh, all of that stuff is not cartooning per se. It's not me at a piece of paper with a pen or at a Wacom holding a pen. Uh, it's not that specific act of cartooning, but all of that enables, enriches, and enlivens the cartooning and makes it possible for Dave next week to be a cartoonist, not just Dave right now to be a cartoonist. I think we need to re-examine what it means to be a cartoonist. Okay. I think we need to re because for me, and, and I get this question a lot, you know, how much of your day is spent cartooning? Well, all of it, because social media now is part of cartooning. It just mm -hmm. is. If you want to be a cartoonist in today's day and age, social media is going to be part of that. Self-publishing, the Kickstarter, Patreon, uh, sending books out to fulfill a Kickstarter. That's part of being a cartoonist. You mm -hmm. can, in other words, going back to what you said about the Socratic ideal, this idea of just doing comics and the checks start rolling in, that's not realistic. You know what is realistic? You're going to have to do your own shipping. <laughs> that's realistic. You need to learn how to do social media. That's realistic. Along with the, uh, the the writing and the drawing, all of those parts are part of the skill set that you need to actually be a cartoonist in this day and age. Yeah, and uh, even more, I think they improve upon your ability oh, to be yes. a cartoonist because you understand from a holistic standpoint 
what's working, what's not working, what your audience is responding to, mm-hmm. what they're um, what they're willing to plunk down money for, how and and when they are willing to plunk down money. So it makes you a better overall artist working in the world, not just the I'm an artist living in a cave creating exactly what I want. No one can tell me what to do. Right. There's a it, yeah. in the sense that a, a performer on stage, like a comedian, you get feedback from an audience. Right. And that right. subtly changes the course of your stand up comedy. Right. Uh, an artist, a cartoonist like Brad and I, who interacts with the world through either commerce, through social media, through websites, through appearances, all of that stuff informs what's being uh, received well in our cartooning, what worked, how our writing needs refinement mm-hmm. or not. Um, and so it actually ends up making me a better cartoonist. And the truth is, Brad, at one point in the day for you, are you not thinking of ideas? Zero. I'm always my, my mind is always going. Right. Like my mind, uh, what's funny is uh, sometimes I'll be doing the dishes and Gloria's like, yeah. where are you right now? And I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I was working on a punchline. Uh, yeah. The, the truth is the, the cartoonist mind is kind of always going. So yeah. all that being said, I love that. I love right. that I'm always looking for the joke or, or the storyline in my day to day, you know, like I'll have an interaction with someone at a supermarket. Not right now, but normally, you know, a two second interaction. I'll be like, oh, that's a, I see the joke in that punch and the way right. they said that, you know. It's like it's like if you were to go up to Michael Jordan. I'm not comparing either one of us to Michael Jordan, but it, it's like if you were to go up to Michael Jordan and say, "You're not an athlete. You're an endorser." You could he could if without the athleticism, nobody cares about his endorsement. It's right. all part and parcel of the whole thing. And in today's universe, to be a professional athlete, being an endorser and having endorsements is part of the entire deal. Yeah, and I will extend your metaphor, Brad, to this because in the same way that uh, this question was asked, yeah. you could conceivably go up to a professional athlete and say, you're not a professional athlete. Uh, right. You're a professional trainer. You do right. 99% of your week is spent training. <laughs> only 1% do you actually play the sport, you, right? Yeah, like like a pitcher playing baseball. You're only a, an athlete four innings a week. Yeah. Well, so that's it's, ridiculous. Uh, is the question only that they are an athlete for the four innings that they're pitching? No. The, the they're an athlete in the training, in the in the road tripping, and all yes. that. Sort of, like all of it is part and parcel of their life. So I guess what uh, I, maybe we're taking more umbrage than we should. But the idea that you are only an artist in the exact moment when you are physically creating art, and everything else is subsidiary or ancillary or not even related to art making. Um, I find it a little bit dangerous too, and I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to go in a different direction, Brad. Okay. Remember one of the beautiful visual metaphors that Wall-E the movie had was mm-hmm. that humanity had decided that work was hard, and so the robots would do all the work, and they literally uh, became uh, flabby chair creatures, right? We, we unfortunately during the pandemic, I see that a little bit yeah. too close to home, right? Uh, <laughs> so. Turn your camera off, Brad. Don't look at my shame. (laughs) Don't Um, look at my shame. So, but the thing is, though, is that part of being a cartoonist is constantly cutting your teeth in the real world so that you can comment on the real world, write Mm -hmm. about the real world. If I was just an artist that was removed in my little cave making my paintings and nothing could impact me in my day, um, it becomes a little bit too navel-gazy and and too... out of touch. Uh, removed, remo- removed from what actual life is, you yeah. know? So the yeah. fact that I have to work on websites, have to learn shipping, have to go travel to go to comic shows, have to learn how publishing works, mm-hmm. all of that is, A, fun, I love it, I love to do it, but also right. informs uh, how I can write an office comedy because I can better put myself into the shoes of someone in an office setting. I can better put myself into the shoes of a marketing team right. because I do a little bit of that as a cartoonist, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I can write about it in the comics. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I, I I think the important thing here is that we need to have a little bit clearer view of what it means to be a cartoonist. And and, and the fact that somebody can say, well, neither of you have a cartoonist job shows us that we need to do a, lo- a lot more education <laughs> as part of this podcast as as to what it means to be a cartoonist. Well, let me ask you, Brad, because he he had expressed this. Neither of you has a cartoonist job. Yeah. Uh, this is putting words in his mouth, but what do you think he meant by cartoonist job? I, 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 I think from what I understand there, he expects that a cartoonist just makes comics and then the check falls into their lap. I'm, and I'm not being I'm not being uh, facetious. Uh, it, it sounds like he expects that that's the only things that it sounds like he's about 30 years out of date because that's that might be somewhat uh, what a syndicated model in the heart of newspapers' dominance of media that would have been very similar to that, but that hasn't been around for a well over twenty years. And then when you get into the it it, it, it started to slide twenty years ago. You got to go back thirty years to get to where newspapers were dominant to the extent that you had somebody like Mort Walker who would fit the mold of what this person's actually talking about. But that was well over 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And and frankly, one of the reasons at the beginning of this rant that I said it's important for you to own and control your own career is even the people, Brad, that we knew 30 years ago that were just a syndicated cartoonist or just an artist on Marvel or just a New Yorker or just a scholastic illustrator. That's all they had to do, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do all the other stuff. All those people now don't have the savings in mind <laughs> and the control over their works that they're still getting paid on that Marvel book that they did 30 years ago. Right. Or or on a syndicated strip that no longer exists. Because uh, So to own and control your own work, to me, is a key part of future Dave still being yes. able to be a cartoonist. I can't underline that enough. Yeah. That 75-year-old me, because I wore all these hats, will still be able to be a cartoonist and won't have to have gone into another field like i know a lot of these cartoonists had to do because Mm -hmm. they didn't own and control their work you know right right well listen as we're wrapping that up we we mentioned uh just briefly uh education uh i want to when i heard myself say that i want to bring this up because uh this is a great idea and and we can uh we can shift into the next topic through this uh, one of our uh, Patreon backers, Susan Marks, uh, has a great idea. I want to bounce off of you and see what you think. Okay. Uh, uh, she says, I want to learn Clip Studio Paint, which, by the way, is well, I can endorse that strongly. It's well worth learning. Would there be any others in the Comic Lab community who'd like to form a Clip Studio Paint boot camp January through February of next year? I'd organize it, she says and host a channel or thread on the Discord server if that would be okay. Well, what do you think, Dave? We we could have a group of people teaching each other, learning on the fly, kind of being self-starters, learning Clip Studio Paint together. They can use the Discord server as kind of a a meetup place and uh, to share information and to share encouragement. What do you think? Is that something that we should do? If they're asking for our approval of whether we can do it, then yeah, by all means, that sounds 
sounds great. Yeah. I I have been so uh, heartened by how cartoonists have been using the Discord server, um, the one link to patreon.com slash comic lab. Yeah. Uh, they have been so helpful to one another in their own breakout writers rooms and their own breakout artist critique rooms. Yeah. Uh, in their own, uh, you know, uh, business uh, how to's for this or that. So I'm I wholeheartedly endorse the idea of artists doing a boot camp um, over January and February. So yeah, I would love to see it. Yeah, we'll set up a thread. Uh, we'll set up a little uh, sub channel uh, that'll be called uh, something along the lines of you know Clip Studio Paint Boot Camp. Uh, we'll uh, Susan, you can be in charge <laughs> as far as that goes. Uh, although I'm sure Dave and I are, are going to be checking in uh, uh, frequently. Uh, but this is basically for self starters who want to teach themselves uh, Clip Studio Paint, uh, and then uh, this is going to be a place where you hit a, a roadblock or something. You can say, "Oh, hey, I'm I'm having trouble with uh, the typography. How do I do yeah. that?" Well, then you can share answers back and forth. That can be a resource that other people can go back and 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 uh, read through as they're learning CSP. I think this is a great idea, and uh, and and kudos to you, Susan, for thinking of it. Yeah, thank you, Susan. And, and also, well, we might as well chime in on it since it, the, Susan brought it up. Uh, if you are a listener of the show, um, A, congratulations, but oh, yeah. <laughs> B, B uh, we would love to invite you to join us over at patreon.com slash comic club because not only do you get access to that Discord server, mm-hmm. there's something like, and I, Brad, you can correct me on the number, there's something like 80 to 85 hours of additional podcasts that we have recorded just for patrons. Yep. Uh, uh, called Pro Tips, and there's a subset Pro Tips called Writer's Room, where we take you through the writing of a a comic start to finish. Um, And so I highly recommend, uh, for those of you that are uh, interested by it, to join us over at Patreon. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Dave, I've got a question from a $5 Patreon backer named Dave uh, Lerner, who wants to know, does the type of drawing have to match the type of writing? Typically, a humorous comic strip will be drawn in a cartoony style, while a serious comic will be in a realistic style. But is this a necessity? Would Sheldon still be funny if painted by Alex Ross? Would The Watchmen still work if it was done in in Brad's Cape Carnival style? Uh, Thank you. I really enjoy the podcast. Gives me something to look forward to twice a week. Which is well, that, very nice. Thank that you. is a really great, uh, great question. I don't know why I, I became a four-year-old kid all of a sudden. I don't, uh, that is a really great question, and it's fun to talk about. There's yeah. a lot of different angles to jump in on this, but I will start in from this, which is obviously none of us can help the uh, art style that we are currently in uh, immediately. Like we right. can slowly try to to transform our style over years into something else, but your style is your style, and I think. Um, 
it, it would be disingenuous to say that any style could draw for any kind of story and they all work equally good. And yeah. that's that. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples of why I think that's not the case. Um, Theodore Geisel, uh, who uh, did famously Dr. Seuss, right? Mm-hmm. Earlier in his career was an editorial cartoonist during yeah. World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I have to tell you, there is the weirdest disconnect in the world in seeing Adolf Hitler drawn dancing on top of a tank, but looking like he's in Horton Hears a Who. And it just doesn't fit to draw history's worst monster. Yeah where he looks like he's trying to offer you green eggs and ham. It doesn't work. Like, it's like something's not right here. And so he hadn't yet found, in the same way that we always say, you know, in in cartooning, you'll find your tribe, you'll Mm -hmm. find your people. Mm -hmm. Um, He had not yet found his true home, which was to take his style, his whimsical, lyrical, childlike joy style, and apply it to children's books. So he was applying it to editorial cartoons during World War II. Like, just, it didn't work. You're, you kind of want to shake him and be like, Ted, come on, man. This no, is no, no, not no, no. yet, this is not where you need to be. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, uh, go ahead, Brad. You had a thought about that. Uh, so uh, when, I, when I first saw this question came over the transom, my initial reaction was to say, absolutely not. Does, in other words, what Dave is asking is, does the writing have to be a certain way, or I'm sorry, does the art have to be a certain way to match the writing? And my initial reaction was, no, absolutely not. And then he said, would, would Sheldon be as funny if it was uh, uh, drawn by Alex Ross? And I thought about it and I said, no. <laughs> It wouldn't. You, your writing is very, very funny. But if you put any other artist in charge of drawing those illustrations, and it does not work, uh, and of, and of course, my illustration style would not be appropriate for the Watchmen. And uh, and so I've got I've got to say, to a certain extent, that the the writing and the art do have to complement each other or else i don't think it's going to work as well um now and and i man, i almost hate to say myself hear myself say that because it it sounds uh it's it sounds like like predisposed like like you can't do this absolutely not and I, and i'm not sure i'm saying there are any absolutes but Man, I think I think Dave's right. I, I think you've got. I think the art has to, in some way, complement the writing, or else right. it's going to fall apart. Well, to 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 Brad's uh, point, I'm not trying to say that that your art style is predictive of like you can only work in these two genres, yeah. and how dare you step out of that, right? Right. I'm not saying that because, as I said before, we can all slowly modify our style, and frankly, within all of us, as we talked about, I think last week or two weeks ago. We all kind of have two or three or four styles that we can dance into or yep. modify our way. Yep. Uh, you know, we've talked about it specifically with Brad. Had a more chibi style. He can also draw far more realistic. He can draw adventurous realistic. He can draw comic book style, comic strip style. Anyway, what I'm getting at is we all kind of have a couple tricks in our up our sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the case. But I do think that comics are are unique marriage between words and pictures, mm-hmm. and. It is disingenuous to say that the words don't impact the pictures and the pictures don't impact the words. Of course they do. Yeah. That's the fundamental nature of the way that that art presents itself. And so um, one of the ways that I think you can see that the art 
is intrinsically tied to the message and the tone of the of the overall comic is to see a book where other artists interpret someone famous, right? Yeah. Because most of the time you flip through going, geez, none of this work. Like, okay, for example, Brad, uh, the the Schultz Museum very kindly, uh, not, not museum, the Schultz Studio asked me to do a guest Peanuts comic for a tribute book on Schultz, right? Right. And of course, who wouldn't jump at that? I, yeah. I, I it was, it, it was a, a super fun thing to try to draw in my style. Uh, peanuts, but I'll tell you this: it didn't work. It did, <laughs> none of them worked. <laughs> they had all sorts <laughs> of comic cartoonists in there drawing Schultz style, and it's all—it's f- fun to see uh, yeah. to see them all do it. But none of them captures that essence, captures that tone, that look, that feel of a Peanuts yeah. in the way that Charles Schultz said. The art was intrinsic, and the writing was intrinsic. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that's true with any tribute book you can think of. I'm sure there's other ones, Brad, that we could think of. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, there's never been a, a Calvin and Hobbes tribute, but we've seen individual redone Calvin and Hobbes, and you're like, oh, yeah. boy, that does not work. Yikes. That's, yeah, it's it's just not the same. I, I think there is something there. I, I think that they, at some point, like uh, Charles Adams is a great example of somebody. I was going to mention Charles Adams, yeah. yes. If you take his sense of humor and have anybody else try to draw it, because uh, I know I've had ideas that I thought this is a very Charles Adams idea. I'm going to try to do this the way Charles Adams would do it. And mm-hmm. I always fail miserably and, and go back. Uh, and then that voice inside my head says, uh, hey, dummy, how about you just try to do this the way Brad Geiger does it? That's you got your hands full doing that. <laughs> right, right. Instead of trying to be Charles Adams, yeah, you don't have to you? be them; just be you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that I think I think there's something to that. I, I I'll be interested to hear what I re, what our listeners think about uh, that topic. I'm sure we're gonna have somebody that pulls something up that gives us a little something to think about. But I think in general, yeah, I think I think it's gotta. I think the two have to mesh. And part of it is Dave's question. I want to go back to it. Says yeah. typically a humorous comic strip will be drawn in a cartooning style, mm-hmm. while a serious comic strip will be drawn in a realistic style. But is this a necessity? And so, for those of you that are not artists that are listeners listening in, the way that I could describe this as being um, a truism is that in fiction writing, for example, someone's diction, the words that they choose, the way that they string them together, can either feel heavy. And hard and mm-hmm. cold in like a, 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 I'm a tricky dick, I'm a detective, and I'm going to, you know, that kind of thing. Sorry, Brad, suddenly <laughs> perked up when I said I'm a tricky dick. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, if you get a hard-boiled detective novel, that's very different language, yes. very different diction, very different word choice and, and mm-hmm. use than you would get in a florid uh, country estate novel from right. Jane Austen or something, you know? Right. You, and, you, couldn't, ha- you couldn't have a Sam Spade detective uh, written by Jane Austen. It just- Right. wouldn't be the same like imagine imagine the bronte sisters like his name was heathcliff she she had some problems <laughs> he was very angry all the time she but he loved a woman and she loved him they were back they were destined to be she and so she ran across the moor to see him she his name was heathcliff he, she wanted to get the smooches in see yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, what i'm getting at is uh you can't <laughs> fully disassociate the tone and the style of presentation from what yeah. you're trying to present yeah um there's a reason why we wrap presents. It's to make you feel like it's something special that you're about to get, right? Yes. And so the wrapping that you put on comics have to be unique and appropriate to what you're presenting. And so um, a Charles Adams, the dark, the gritty, but with that just that hint of witticism mm-hmm. in the art, 
Um, you couldn't do that. Like a Charles Adams wouldn't work in the hands of a Chris Ware right. or a John Byrne or a Charles Schultz. It just would fall apart, you know? Yep. Um, and so uh, I do think, Dave, that there is some truth to the fact that in the same way that a fiction writer has to choose their word and their, their excuse me, their words and their presentational style specifically mm-hmm. to match the narrative, you know, a J.K. Rowling can't write a detective novel and uh, well, I mean, she can try, but she would change her. What, ah, what I'm getting at is there's a very specific <laughs> way to do it because um, in some ways the, the messaging is the mode of presentation. You know, mm-hmm. it is part and parcel of what you're trying to communicate is the way you're communicating it. So I do think that um, Dave, there's a reason why humorous comic strips will be drawn in a cartooning style, and that's because the fundamental message of a comic strip is trying to tell you, let's find the goofiness in everyday situations, let's find the silliness, right. let's find the joy. Whereas uh, a Batman comic is trying to tell you, hey, you know what? The world's a little darker and grittier than you think it is. Right. But there's one man who's gonna uh, <laughs> he's gonna satisfy your power fantasies. I don't know why I keep going after Batman lately, but um, but you couldn't draw if you draw a Batman. Batman in a silly cartoony style, it becomes Batman for kids, right, you know? Right. We've all seen that version of a chibi-style height Batman mm-hmm. uh, drawn in a cute way. Anyway, I'm talking too much, Brad. Any, any final <laughs> thoughts on that one? No, I think we've wrapped that up. And besides, we've got a question over here that I'm dying to hear your thoughts on. This one comes in from Patreon backer Melissa Massey, who I believe is a, is a Philadelphian, as a matter of fact, because uh, I recognize the name. Uh, she says, hello, Brad and Dave. I am starting to shift my business model to launching more books on Kickstarter. But after putting together my last campaign, I realized that I hate designing the extra products for higher tiers. While brainstorming and designing my extras, all I think is I just want to sell a book. Can I do leaner Kickstarter launches for my books just selling the book Or is that going to hinder my ability to fund projects by not having those high-level tiers with lots of stuff? Thanks for the help, and I love the show. Melissa Massey. So give Melissa some advice here, Dave. What are you going to do? She says she hates those higher tiers. It's taking a lot of work. Melissa, uh, I think this is a great question um, because I can understand where you're coming from in that sometimes when you're putting together a Kickstarter and designing certain tiers, certain rewards, you're like, oh, I have to, I have to jump through five more hoops before I can launch mm-hmm. this pay, this Kickstarter mm-hmm. because I need a postcard and I need a pin and I need a bumper sticker to go along with whatever book I'm offering. But it's really the book that I care about. Right. So I know where you're coming from, Melissa, on this. I think you absolutely can uh, launch a lean Patreon. We've all seen that work. Um, I do think you just have to go in going, all right, well, I'm going to make X amount versus X plus 10% or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, now... I will say this, the more Kickstarters that you do, Melissa, there is a wonderful knock-on effect yeah. of all the previous books, all the previous work that you have already done and invested time and labor and love into. Those are still sitting in your warehouse or in your garage or in a closet. Mm-hmm. And you go, hey, gang, sure, you can get the book for 20 bucks, but you can get this book and the previous book that I did for 25 or 30 right. or all that sort of knock-on effect. Don't you think, Brad, yes. with, uh, the, yes. with future Kickstarters? That's and that's exactly the way to do it. So, so in in asking this question, Melissa actually knows the answer because she says the answer right in there. Uh, she says, you know, can I do this? Can I just sell the book, or is that going to hinder my ability uh, to fund projects? Well, the answer is yes. By not having those upper level tier things like artist editions and stuff like that, 
uh, you are going to hinder your ability a little bit to to uh, capitalize on your money. Uh, I'm I, I I'm getting to the point that I I'm kind of with her a little bit. <laughs> I'm doing artist editions right now for my uh, Kickstarter, and uh, man, I got to tell you, it's it's getting harder and harder to get through those artist editions every uh, every time I do this. Uh, I, I it, it it but I charge a premium for them, and I can't turn that money down. <laughs> You know, I want so it, so it, again. That voice inside my head says, "Well, listen. You want the money? Sit down and draw the picture, dummy." <laughs> you know, and and when I do my next uh, Kickstarter, I'm gonna have artist editions too on those, uh, and I will sit down. And it's it's not you know I will do. I, I always if someone's gonna pay me that kind of premium to do an artist edition, I do a really good job on the illustration because that's a pride thing, you know. Uh, that is absolutely something that I want to give them the best illustration I can. Uh, am I enjoying that? Not so much. Would I rather just be selling the book? Absolutely. But I don't want to give up that money. And that's part of what's driving these Kickstarter campaigns is those upper tier rewards. So, no, I, I, I do agree with Dave. And that's why I use Backerkit uh, for my Kickstarters because you can you can have people. I I think my last uh, Kickstarter uh, I actually now have made an extra six thousand dollars just through people buying extra stuff through Backerkit that I have in the warehouse back there. Uh, so that is what Dave said. I'll underline a hundred percent. But I'll also say until you get to that point where you've got a big library of stuff and crates full of books that you're ready to get out the door. Until you do that, you're going to have to bite the bullet like I do and uh, and put some of those upper tier things together so that you can make the extra money. It's it's all, you know, it, I put it, I, I file it like this in my brain. I also don't like doing my taxes, right? I don't mind paying them because I like having things like paved roads and public schools, but I don't like the physical act of doing it, right? Still got to do it. Still part of this uh, whole uh, deal that we signed on to when we became independent creators. Uh, this is the same sort of thing. Might not be your favorite thing in the world, but as long as it's generating that money, it, you're going to probably, like me, find it hard to leave it sitting on the table. And Melissa, looking at this another way, mm -hmm. uh, I should just say that um, with time and experience, you will maybe uh, swallow the discomfort of this moment a little bit better by knowing that this is a unique time in your calendar year where your audience has already made the emotional decision to support you. So sometimes I have to say it is worthwhile to give them an incentive to get a little bit extra money mm -hmm. that's frankly just a slightly different click on their part. It's not like we're physically pulling out a 50 out of their wallet rather than a 20. Remember, it's just a slightly different click. Mm -hmm. So they've already made the emotional decision. What I'm saying is it's not that big a hurdle to get them to pledge at a slightly higher amount. So I have come to the conclusion that it is worth it, even though I maybe dislike it for this or that campaign to create more stuff. Uh, it's worth it to uh, to um, take advantage of that moment. Again, going back to Dave's question, because it makes it possible for me to be a cartoonist. And frankly, once you accept that it actually is kind of fun to make all this different stuff, mm -hmm. and people remembering that people want your things in their life and that they want to yeah. support you. Um, I have come to find joy in creating pins and buttons and postcards and prints and bumper stickers don't you think brad absolutely and while we're talking on about kickstarter i want to bring something up that's very timely oh yeah I, it's i'm glad you brought that up i, I know exactly where you're going you don't <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think I can, know where you're going. We can talk about that too. Uh, but just in, if, so, as you were talking about shipping and everything, it reminded me and artist editions. I need to get my artist editions for my international orders done immediately and get those out before January, because in January, uh, due to Brexit, Great Britain is breaking off officially from the European Union in, in January, and. Any of us who are shipping packages to Great Britain starting January 1st are going to have to register and pay value-added tax directly to Great Britain. Now, this was something that before, when Great Britain was part of the European Union, uh, you could easily have done uh, either through a third party, like I I remember Gumroad was handling uh, value-added tax stuff. Uh, I, there was a whole bunch of them that had said that it basically said, "Listen, I'll leave that up to us." And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the European Union had a certain threshold that you had to ship a certain dollar amount to uh, the European Union before you had to worry about paying value-added tax or VAT tax. Um, that's not the case with Great Britain. There is no threshold. So if you ship one book to Great Britain starting January 1st, you've got to register with Great Britain's uh, uh, tax collection agency and remit the value-added tax. Uh, All of that to say, if you're like me, you want to get your shipping to the UK done immediately. And I'll be honest with you, Dave, I haven't completely uh, worked my way around this, but I have absolutely no I, I I will not be surprised if you hear me say in January, I'm not shipping to Great Britain anymore because it is not going to be worth all the hoops I got to jump through. Yeah, yeah. Well, and before we go along too far, I just want to say congratulations on today's word of the day. Brad correctly used the word remit, which you'll never hear used correctly. Uh, and so I want to give huge credit to Brad on using the word remit. That was fantastic. Uh, Thank you very much. And also, uh, you were right that I, I did not know what you were about to say in terms of Kickstarter and shipping. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to say this, uh, just to put it on everyone's radar, um, you had mentioned Backer Kit a minute ago, Brad, and yeah. I wanted to just put everyone on everyone's radar that Kickstarter is currently testing in beta Ooh. the ability within Kickstarter to do add-on items after a Kickstarter has closed. So first of all, God, those poor people at Backer Kit must be shitting their pants that their entire business model <laughs> might be stolen out from under them. Um but also, just keep that on your radar. Uh, I would be curious if I, I'm not currently running a Kickstarter, but I'd be curious to try it for a future one. Um, so someone will have to report back to me and to Brad and to the show if mm-hmm. you do uh, uh, add-on shipping through Kickstarter in their new beta program. That'd be interesting. Now, I am going to say this about my friends at BackerKit, and they're not a sponsor, so I, 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 I'm clearly not being paid to say this. But I got to tell you, last time I put BackerKit together... Saying this right up front, it is a bear to put together with all the SKUs and the weights and all this other stuff. It makes everything down the line much, much easier. But man, that 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 couple of weeks you spend putting this stuff together is horrible. But I got to tell you, uh, you you when you're ready to throw the the button, you like similar to Kickstarter, you say, send it to us. We're going to look it over first and then approve it. The approval process they actually had a living, breathing, breathing person uh, look at this, and and I know this for a fact because whomever that was, she went to a granular level of uh, pouring through my details to the extent that she found a mistake that was so granular, so bottom level, she had to be completely 
she she understood she what had to be I was in the doing. weeds to find that. Yeah, she she understood my campaign better than I did. All right, it was like an artist edition. It was it was like a, a caveat onto a caveat onto a caveat. She found something that would have really caused me pain later on. Uh, so even I, I will say this: even if Kickstarter comes out with add-ons, uh, they're going to have to really bring something significant because I would be very tempted to just stick with Backer Kick because I know what I've got going on over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's a good point. Is sometimes that that personal touch and also the experience of having done it for years. Well, and plus I've got all those SKUs entered. So now all I got to do is say, is just roll it over to the next one. If right. I go to Kickstarter, I got to do all that from scratch again. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether Kickstarter thinks like, Oh, this will be easy. We'll just add on backer kit kind yeah. of abilities and yeah. whether they're biting off more than they can choose. So that'll be interesting to see. All right. Well, jumping into one last question, Brad, for yeah. the show here, uh, this comes in from Adonis, uh, and, uh, they write, hi, Brad and Dave. My dilemma is that I have just graduated with a bachelor's degree in biology and was pursuing grad school. School, but I have found that in the past year, I've been putting a lot more time and effort into improving my art and comic book writing skills rather than rather than sending out applications to grad schools. Given mm. that these two fields do not seem to coexist, would it be wiser to focus on one and forget the other, even given the time and money I already put into biology? Mm. Is it possible to follow two career paths that are basically opposing each other? Thank you for your time. The laughs and the knowledge I get from your podcast has really helped me through this pandemic. Oh, that that's yeah. really nice to hear, actually. Uh, so I've got I've got a I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, I had a tremendous amount of thoughts on this. Well, Part we're not of, hearing any of them. Come on, Shannon, <laughs> so forget about with it. the thoughts over there. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, I think I think you need I, I think first I think you should probably stick with biology uh, <laughs> because you put a lot of time and money into that and the the idea of being able to make a living doing comics uh, unless you've captured lightning in a bottle unless you're a unique case is right. not going to come for you is not going to happen for several years and you're going to have to figure out a way to make money happen in the meantime and if you've already started down the line of biology to the extent that you've got that uh, knowledge and experience and so forth to the extent that you're even considering grad school uh, I don't know that I would be very comfortable seeing you throw that away just yet and uh, and and whether you go to grad school or not is up to you because that's a that's a big ticket uh, item to, to add on in terms of loans and stuff but I want to put a thought in your head uh, as we go through this and that is this you think that those two paths are opposing but I want to read back what you said to us and it was this you said this whole time that you've been you finished up with biology and you were filling out grad school applications you were really fired up about comics well uh where do you think that came from where do you think that excitement came from it, it maybe and i don't know what's going inside your head but maybe, just maybe, all of that excitement came from the, uh, studying biology in some way. Maybe the study of biology uh, satisfied one half of your brain, uh, the analytical half, so that when you came around to the creative half, you were really ready to go, and that came out through comics. Maybe what you're doing in biology uh, somehow morphed itself and came out as creativity Maybe those two things are not unrelated as you think they are. Yeah. Because t 
Take a look at your life circumstance right now. You just finished college, you're doing grad school, and you're very fired up creatively. You think that those are two different things happening? I think they might be, they might be the same thing. <laughs> I don't know why this is making me laugh, but it, you a little bit sounded like that old, I think it was a CBS morning broadcast would be like, and that's why the two things might be a little bit connected. I'm Brad Geiger. Have a lovely day. I'll see you again. Was that the avuncular Charles Kuralt? Yeah, yeah, you were very Charles Kuralt about it. That's who I was trying to think of. Yes, you were like, you were like, I think you might find those two things are very interconnected. Maybe. And like the birds flying home for spring, I think you'll find your own inspiration as you. I don't know. CBS Sunday Morning always ending on the most zen shot of like oh. a bird flying. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, uh, <laughs> and here's a babbling brook with a single yeah, exactly. dragonfly. We know the world is a trash fire, yeah. so here we go. Here's a babbling brook. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I like Brad think that the two might be more interconnected than you think. And yeah. I'm actually going to give a shout out to a cartoonist that I have not thought of mm. in 20 years. Uh, when I went to Notre Dame, Brad, in Indiana, I was like, oh, I want to be a cartoonist. And I had an upperclassman show me the ropes on how to uh, prep and paste a page or comic onto a physical newspaper. Now, uh-huh. this is aging me, but this is back before digital layouts and Quark Express or InDesign or any of mm-hmm. that. We would have to physically print out and paste up the newspaper to be photographed, right? Yeah. There was an older upperclassman at Notre Dame that told me and showed me how to do newspaper paste-ups and and also was like, hey, maybe you should try this in your cartooning. Little little hints and tips little in a very just... polite way as the mm-hmm. way, uh, kind of mentorish. His name is Jay Hostler. He's still working online. J-A-Y H-O-S-L-E-R. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Hostler. And the reason why I bring him up is because Jay had always done um, uh, uh all ages, all type comics. Oh, sorry, all genre. To, uh, easy to jump into comics for all people. Mm-hmm. And on the side, worked as a biologist, right? Yeah. But guess what? Now Jay does these absolutely gorgeous biology comics. Yeah. And I am so glad that Jay exists. I am mm-hmm. so glad that he has married his two loves together yeah. to make biology comics. They are fantastic. I cannot recommend them enough for kids and, and adults. And they're great. And one of the reasons why I want to sing his praises is I think that in uh, one of the unfortunate things that the Comics Code did in America was they said comics have to be these one very specific things. Yes. They could be superheroes or they could be Archie or they could be comic strips and that's it. Yep. Whereas the Japanese and the European market oh. are, was very much like comics can be whatever on whatever, mm-hmm. talking about whatever to whoever, right? Mm-hmm. And America and Canada a little bit got restricted in what comics could be. So the fact that you are a lover of biology and a lover of comics, what I'm saying is comics can sing in how they can communicate biology. Yes. That, that's a beautiful marriage of words and pictures that can communicate in ways textbooks never dreamed they could about how biology is beautiful and wonderful and interesting. So that might be something you want to work into your future work, don't you think, Brad? Yeah. Uh, And not only that, I'm going to underline with this. And that is, there's also something else psychologically that might be happening. Listen to what this person's pathway was. He just finished up doing uh, his, uh, his undergraduate degree. Now he's filling out forms for grad school. 
Could you put yourself in that mental space just for yes. a minute. You just finished final exams. You've been studying your butt off. And this is, you know, this is biology. This is stuff you got to really have your head screwed on tight for. Now, this person is going through grad school forms and stuff like that. Well, my son is is filling out the, the forms for undergraduate, right? And he's he's very stressed out. Think of how stressed out this grad student or prospective grad student is is becoming. Part of it, and, and, and so I'm not surprised that part of your brain is going, uh, hey, let's work on comics instead. Hey, 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 you know what? Really fun <laughs> That's what my brain would be doing. I'm not saying that it's not genuine. I'm not saying that you're trying to fool yourself. I'm saying I think I'd probably be doing the same. And I right. don't think it's, it's uh, something to avoid. But I also wouldn't let your career path after four years of studying biology. I don't know that I would let this moment decide your career path yet. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up actually a question, Dave, that we because we gotta mesh these two. I think okay. uh, we've had this one sitting on the uh, on in the queue for a little while, and I'm just gonna skim through it right real quick. This person says, "I think I left my day job too soon." Uh, they go, I haven't been employed for two years. I quit my day job to pursue comics, but now, either because of COVID or changing circumstances, I find myself in dire need of regular income, and I've discovered my work, the work he left, is no longer marketable. I don't think my work is bad, but I feel like it no longer fits into a conventionally marketable style. Like, my only way forward is just to keep doing comics, but that rope might not pay. There might be a lot of reasons I never make it past the art test, but what are your thoughts? Uh, here's the deal. Uh, I think these two are connected. Okay? Yeah, they kind of are. Yeah. And when we first started Comic Lab, do you remember three years ago, one of the things I said I was really going to make it something that I, I wanted to champion is this idea of destigmatizing the day job. Right. In other words, right. this whole idea of don't quit your day job, meaning that as a way to put an artist down, don't quit your day job. And this idea that I didn't consider myself a full time cartoonist until I did quit my day job. And now, as you heard at the top of the show, you better you, you bet your bottom dollar that I consider myself a full time cartoonist. Right. Uh, but 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 even so, uh, sometimes we make bad decisions because we think uh, I, I'm not a cartoonist if I have a day job. And I think in both of these cases, both both of these question askers would be really wise to think about what I said there and 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 to destigmatize in their own brains the idea of a day job. I think this person, the second person I brought up, absolutely needs to find a day job uh, until the comics uh, until yeah. a, the comics can replace that income. And I would be I, I would I would ask our biology student to not make any real firm decisions just yet. Keep putting those grad student uh, applications in. Take a little bit of time and 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 think about nothing for a little while, and 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 try not to make any decisions, and then come to it in a little bit uh, fresh with the idea that if you do go to grad school, if you do decide to make that choice for yourself, that doesn't mean that you're saying no to comics necessarily. You can still say yes to comics. Uh, but it might be in a uh, in, in a greater paradigm where you've got the day job and you work on comics, which is a valuable, genuine path. And Brad, there is a through line actually accidentally in today's show, which is if you remember that first question of like, 
uh, you don't you don't have true cartoonist jobs, right? And and that plays into that same mindset of mm-hmm. like, well, you're not a true cartoonist unless it is all that you do. Yes. And you're not a true cartoonist if you have a day job. Right. Whereas I would refer two things. One is we have to shake this notion that you're not a true artist unless you're Picasso standing without pants and underwear on painting <laughs> in a studio on the Mediterranean coast. And right. that's all you're doing that day. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, it's not there. Are, there is a, a infinitesimally small fraction of artists who have lived that life in in the history of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us have a sort of quiet recognition of Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. And if you're not yes. familiar with Laszlo's hierarchy of needs, just go take a look at, at a graphic of that online. And it's a sort of psychological um, guidepost. It's not necessarily hard and fast, but it's a guidepost of like what you need as a functioning adult to move to a place of comfort that you can create art, right? Um, Or at least in part, that's how it could be read. Mm -hmm. And so for many of us, if... If the rent is due and you don't have the money, if you are hungry and you don't have the right amount of food to get the food that you were uh, hoping for, Mm -hmm. if you have a long-term illness and you don't have the kind of health care insurance to to make that possible, it's really hard to progress to the next step of Laszlo's hierarchy of needs and be like, I'm going to create art today. Right. So frankly, I find it comforting and welcoming to have a baseline of income that can, at at certain points in my life, where having that second job allowed me to be an artist, you know? Yes. Not just... Not just that it was that it was a, a part of my life that I had to get through so I could do my art at night, but that day job made it possible for me to be an artist, both right. emotionally, spiritually, physically, in any way that you can look at it. You know. <laughs> well, Dave, as we're winding down the show, we've been talking about some uh, listeners that are are not cartoonists at all. They don't this. They don't. They aren't like part time cartoonists or full time cartoonists. These are people who who might listen to uh, comics, and in some cases, they might not be doing comics at all whatsoever. They just like the show. <laughs> and uh, and here's one I wanted to share with you. It says, hey, hey, Brave and Dad, getting caught up on Comic Lab in a recent episode, you asked to hear from those of us uh, listeners who are creators in other fields and what we take away from your podcast. I'm a motion picture editor in the animation industry, currently oh. working at DreamWorks. Though I've bounced around to the other major studios as well, I've been following you guys since just before the Web Comics Weekly days. Ah, this 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 person is an old timer like us, Dave, and enjoy listening to your banter with each other, which is probably the main reason I listen to Comic Lab. But I'm also a fan of comics and enjoy learning about the creative process, especially by independence. I once dreamed of developing skills as a cartoonist, and tuning into you guys helped me live vicariously, I suppose. So that's kind of nice. That's really nice. This person is working at DreamWorks as an animator and uh, listening to Comic Lab. Not too shabby a life, by the way. So kudos on that. too shabby at all. Not too shabby. And also, uh, just because this is interesting uh, to to mention to our our listeners as creators themselves, Mm -hmm. is it's interesting to note the time shift uh, of the answers that we're getting to this question that we asked four weeks ago, because a little mm-hmm. bit what it tells me is that people are listening to that episode from four weeks ago on their own timeline. Yeah. And part of that is I, the reason I mentioned that is as a creator, you create something, you put it up on the web, you're excited for everybody to read it. And sometimes the most impactful email you'll get is six weeks, six months, six yes. years later, uh, that there is a time shift to when you create a thing and to when it truly clicks. And it's worth noting that sometimes even 
in our immediate world that it is not immediate. So, yes. um, first of all, thank you for the kind words and thank you for sharing your life. But also, it's fun to note that uh, the answers are still coming in uh, yeah. after weeks later uh, of asking that question. And they're fascinating. We've got more uh, for future shows, but uh, I, you'd, you'd be surprised, Dave, who's listening to this stuff. <laughs> There's some real interesting people listening to us. Uh, Far more interesting than we are, which is nice. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And that just leaves me to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. My host, your my host, your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger. Happy to bean you in the face with a full-size Snicker bar. Come by his house in Philadelphia. He's the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. over at evil-comic.com. And my friend, my good friend, Dave Kellett, co-director of Strip, starring Brad Geiger in a younger and, and more uh, high-toned time, I guess, or high-timbered time. Uh, a cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and drive at drivecomic.com and you know what i so rarely mention it but having just rewatched it i highly recommend if you have not seen stripped oh, yes. i'm far enough away from it now where i can say it really came out great yeah. you should absolutely go check out stripped my comics documentary mm-hmm. uh it's been a few years since i've seen it i really enjoyed it holds up so well. good job past me who yeah. forgot what he made um <laughs> anyway uh the comic lab theme song is used with permission from andy creighton at theworldrecord.net and this episode and all episodes was edited by matt woodard of woodsong productions over at www.woodsong.media if you love comic lab you can rate and review the show on apple podcasts and you may hear your review featured on a future episode like this kind note that we got, Dave, from uh, a friend of mine, Christian Patchell, who is, uh, is a uh, professor over at Arcadia University. Uh, he's teaching gra- graphic design. Listen to this. Hope you're doing well under the circumstances. I wanted to let you and Dave, Dave, know that after listening to your podcast about what makes a good mentor, I was inspired to charge my students with a new assignment. I went over the four C's of social media and asked them to all focus on kindness this week. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause uh, Christian's letter. Uh, to, we are recording this show on November 3rd, by the way, uh, election day. So that's the week he's talking about. <laughs> In case you're curious, uh, that's the week uh, that that he wants his students to focus on kindness. The only hurdle he says was explaining to them that the fourth C was kindness, but many of them found it funny. Not all of them, Dave, but many no, of them. Not all of them. That sounds like our focus group. All right, yeah, there we go. With everything going on in the world in this week. In particular, I thought, what better time to be kind? And all that came from listening to the two of you discuss teaching and mentoring. I just wanted to let you know that you just gave about 40 students homework. Homework in being kind on social media to other creative people. Thank you for all the kindness that you two put out into the world. Apparently, it is infectious. Take care, stay safe, see you soon. P.S. It already started working. One of my students responded to the email thanking me for all the help and support this semester. I owe you both big time. Wow. Yeah, isn't that nice? That is 1-800-AWESOME. Good work. I really appreciated that. That was a really nice, thank you for those kind words. That was great. Somewhere out there, there's a college student doing a four C's of social media homework assignment this week. That delights me to no end. And focusing on kindness. Man, there are worse things in the world than than that happening. That is fantastic. And so I am going to say thank you for the kind words and also to tell everybody Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that like a kid getting candy at Brad's house. (laughs) Ow! (laughs) 
Happy Halloween, kid! <laughs> Next. <laughs> Step right up. Lower the bag. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Dave, could you imagine if you would have gone back to that version of Brad Geiger years and years back, uh, taping stripped and telling him that he was going to be doing not safe for work comics on Patreon? Oh my God! What, what, uh, or, what would he have or sounded he... like? <laughs> oh boy, I'm gonna have to draw not safe for work comics. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna hold on my little fan here and fan myself. Oh goodness! Also, what's all this about having to buy larger sizes of shirts? I I don't know how I feel about this. The future is, is a mixed bag of good and not so good. I'm not so sure about how I feel about this. Anyway, I've been younger and more feeling than I